It is my great joy to invite you this morning to open your copy of God's your precious, uh, perfect and precious Word of God to Luke chapter 2. We're going to look together at verses 8 through 14 in Luke chapter 2. We want to talk this morning about the peace of Christmas. I invite you to stand in reverence for the reading of the perfect words of our sovereign God with a sense of awe and wonder that He has spoken to us in His Word. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. Let's pray. O Lord, teach us this morning. Fill us with awe. Fill us with wonder. Fill us with good news and great joy. May we see Your glory in the highest even while we are on earth. May we understand a little bit more of the significance to say there was a Savior born on this day who was Christ the Messiah, the Lord. We pray it in His name and for His sake. Amen. may be seated. We've been looking at the warfare of Christmas. The scene of Christmas is often cleaned up and sanitized. It is romanticized. It seems idyllic. It seems warm and fuzzy. But the real scene around the birth of Jesus Christ was anything but. The last word anybody would use for that scene was sentimental. It was chaotic. It was difficult. It was a culture that was marked by all kinds of horrible things. There was corruption. Corruption in the highest political offices. There was factious groups everywhere, some attacking the others. There were power struggles that abounded. There was deceit. There were all kinds of conspiracy theories. There was oppression of people. There was ruthless taxation that did not take anybody's situation into account. And there was violence. And yes, there was government-sponsored baby killing. That was the scene. It is not sentimental, but it's as it was. But the Christmas story is ultimately about peace. But it's peace that shows up in a fallen world. 
It is peace that comes through the reality of warfare. The Christmas message is ultimately about peace, but we must ask the questions, how do we get from these circumstances to peace? It's the same question we have today, is it not? Corruption, power struggles, deceit, oppression, uh, ruthless taxation, violence, government-sponsored baby killing. It sounds all too familiar. How can we talk about peace in the midst of a world with those circumstances? The only way we can is that if there is a peace that is not dependent on circumstances... That's the only way we can talk about it. But how? Well, it can't come from up from us. It must come from outside of us. It can't be earthly. It must be heavenly. There must be, come from God, a reality outside of us that can bring us peace. There must be some sort of master fact that changes everything. There must be some reality come from God which turns the way we see the world upside down. There must be some fact that if we miss it, everything else we see, we see wrongly. The Christmas story teaches us that Jesus is the master fact of the cosmos. That Jesus is the one who is to be supreme above all things. He is to be the one that we are to consider in all things. We are to take every thought captive to obey Jesus Christ. Everything that we see, everything we have heard about, everything we think about the future is to hinge upon Him. He is God come to man. Heaven announced the birth of Christ to the world. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The baby, born in Bethlehem, in a trough, is the master fact of the universe. The Bible puts it this way, in the fullness of time, God sent His Son. His birth... And what it would represent because He came to die and be raised again and He promises to return. His birth is the answer to the problem of human fear in a fallen world. I want you to see that in the first few verses of Luke chapter 2. Fear. First of all, everyone has fear. Everyone. Without exception. We all have fear. The only question is fear of what or fear of who? The only question is not whether or not we have fear, but how we respond to fear. The Bible clearly teaches there is good fear and bad fear. Now, the good fear in the Bible is when you fear what is ultimate. It's when you fear what is outside of us and is sovereign. The Bible says that the ultimate is the sovereign God of the universe, Father, Son, 
Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that that God is at work in the world saving sinners, calling out a people for Himself. And so when we fear Him, when we reverence Him, when we bow before Him in worship, we know that our reverence for Him is not because He is against us, but because He is for us. And so His might and His glory that causes us to tremble also causes us to have hope and courage. We are to fear what is ultimate. But bad fear is when we fear what is temporal. When we fear what is passing. It is fear of what is not ultimate. Because here's the truth. The issue with fear is always control. If you reverence God and bow before Him, if you say Jesus is Lord and King, then what you are saying is, You are Lord. I will do what you say. I do not know best. You know what's best. The fear that leads to worship of a God who is for you and not against you controls you. Makes you make decisions you wouldn't otherwise make. It calls you down a different path than you would ordinarily go. But when you do not fear what is ultimate, and you look at your life here and now and you fear what is temporal, that controls you as well. Whether it's people, whether it's things, whether it's reputation, we have to but look at the Christmas story itself and we see a man who feared a lot of things But the thing he feared most was an ancient promise about a Messiah who would be born and reign. His name was Herod. He had controls of armies. At the snap of his finger, people would do his bidding. He had the most control of anybody in that region of the world, and he was gripped with anxiety. He was gripped with a fear that controlled him and caused him to be defensive Paranoid and anxious. That's what happens when you fear temporal things. Because Herod, though he had more control than anybody else in the region, knew that he did not have ultimate control. He could not bring his will to pass. And so he's defensive about what everybody says to him. He's paranoid about plots around him. He is ruthless to try to get done what he wants to get done, but he's racked with anxiety. He's discontent and miserable. It's only when you fear what is ultimate that you acknowledge that you don't have control. But when you fear what is ultimate, and by faith you can be united to it, called a very child of the ultimate God, then you don't try to be in control. You just try to follow Him, no matter where He leads you. Look at our text. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, it's already told us about the events that led up to the birth of Jesus. And now in verse 8 we read, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, 
And an angel of Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. Now, as we look at this text, it is interesting that this heavenly announcement begins with these shepherds, ordinary people, laborers. They were working out in the fields, so they were certainly smelly. They had calluses on their hands. This is not to the elite. This is not to the most educated. It's to the most ordinary ordinary, lowly sort of worker that all of the sudden there is an angel of the Lord who comes to them and the glory of the Lord shines around them. The word glory in the Bible means weight, majesty, splendor, light. You see, glory is something that you cannot help but to look at. When the glory of the Lord shines, you don't choose whether or not to respond to it or to look at it. You cannot help it because it's majestic. It has so much splendor. It is so weighty in the scene that it grasps your attention. You don't have to try to stay focused on it. These shepherds weren't deciding whether or not to go back to sleep. The glory of the Lord demanded attention. It's shown around them. The glory of the Lord is the presence of God. And it's the presence of God in such a way that it reveals His sovereignty. The glory of the Lord shows up in the Bible as a reminder of the promise of God. Presence and promise are always a part of the shining glory of the Lord. Did you notice in the video from the Jesus Storybook Bible, it talked about the angel that appeared to Mary, and it said it was a warrior of light. That is a very good description. When people, when angels show up in the Bible, they come from the presence of God, they do the bidding of God, they aren't cute. (laughs) Nobody's going, oh, that angel is so sweet looking. It's always fear. The angel has to say, fear not. The angel does the bidding of God. The presence of God is reflected in the angelic being. And the glory of the Lord is shining around. Notice that these shepherds were filled with fear. If we translated this in the most literal and awkward way, it would be that that these shepherds feared a great fear. By the way... There is a grace in the revelation of this kind of fear. Paul was traveling on a road to Damascus. He was a persecutor of Christians. And all of the sudden, the glory of the Lord appears and says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And he grabs the ground to try to cover his face in the presence of the glory of the Lord. But that was the very moment that God comes to him by his sovereign grace. And Paul responds by God's grace in faith and everything is changed. He met the master fact on the road to Damascus. He saw the glory of the Lord and knew that it was most clearly manifested in Jesus who was the Christ. 
These shepherds see the glory of the Lord. They're filled, filled with fear in the presence of what is ultimate, and it is a gracious act of God to reveal His presence in this way. You notice that the Scripture goes out of its way to make it clear that the grace of God comes to the lowly and despised. Jesus Himself, it says, at times has no place to lay His head. The prophecies about Him were that He would come as the suffering servant and He would die on a cross like a common criminal cursed by God. He comes to the lowly. He comes to those who ordinarily people would not come to. And here He comes to these shepherds. And look at the beginning of verse 10. And the angel said to them, Fear not. Fear not. Do not fear any non-ultimate fear. Because you have seen the glory of the Lord, by faith you can stand up from this moment. Because this child is born, and you cannot fear any non-ultimate fears. Fear not. Fear not in a world marked by uh, corruption. Fear not in a world marked by ruthless taxation. Fear not in a world marked by factions and, and fighting entities. Fear not in a world marked by government corruption and even the, the, the slaughter of innocent babies. Fear not. The question remains, how? Outside of us, not dependent on other circumstances, and a master fact. That is what is going on here. But here's what I want you to see. It's not just the absence of fear. It brings the presence of joy. See, that's a different thing. It's one thing to say, I am not afraid it's a step beyond that to say, I have joy. Here in the account, we go from the issue of fear to the issue of joy. Look with me, beginning in verse 10 down through verse 12. In verse 10, we see, And the angel said to them, Fear not. By the way, it's a present command. It means this, this fear not is to continue. Fear not, for behold... The, the idea is, look, see, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Literally, mega joy. Joy beyond your ability to fathom. That will be for all the people. Not some people, all the people. This reality that's coming, that they are to behold, that they are to look, that they are to see, that is good news of mega joy is that not just for this group of people in this portion of the world, it is for all the people. Everybody has to deal with this master fact. Everybody's fate is dependent upon how they respond to this master fact. So the key in not having fear of temporal things is bound up in beholding Whatever it is that represents this good news of great joy, and that fact is true for all of the people. Look at verse 11. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Now, I want you to notice something. In the previous verse, in verse 10, where it says, Fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy. That's singular. He's talking to them as individuals. You fear not. Because individually, they had to respond by faith. But when we come to verse 11, for unto you is born this way, the you is plural. This is where we need a glorious southern translation of the Bible. For unto y'all is born this day. Unto y'all, the peoples of the world, there is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We could spend all of our time on that verse. The you or the y'all is emphatic. Everybody must deal with this issue. Will you behold it? Will you look? Will you see things as they really are? This is a call to behold by faith. Not just acknowledge an event, but to believe in it, to trust in it. When he says city of David, when he says Savior, when he says Christ or the Messiah who is Lord, we could chase that back to all kinds of Old Testament promises from the beginning. Malachi and Isaiah and Zechariah and again and again and again throughout the Old Testament. All of this is being fulfilled in the birth of this baby in Bethlehem. This is one who will sit on the throne of David forever and ever. This is the one who fulfills all the promises of the Messiah, the one who would deliver his people. For unto y'all is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Look at this birth. Behold it. See it. Don't just see your life. See this birth. See what it represents. Look to it. It's good news of great joy for all the people. There is born in Bethlehem a Savior, a Deliverer, a Messiah. A Messiah who is Lord, Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Then look at verse 12. Verse 12, And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. A sign. Why? This seems unbelievable. These circumstances seem unbelievable. A Savior, a Messiah, a Lord who is born, who is born in Bethlehem, who's in a manger? Heaven announces these incredible, remarkable, almost unbelievable events to these shepherds in specific detail. So when they get to that manger, when they see that baby, they will know that this is a heavenly announcement. This is from outside of them. This is the sovereign God who has revealed this to them. So they will look upon a baby 
and say, Savior, Messiah, Lord. A Lord in swaddling claws, lying in an area with animals. Think about how this applies. How we are to apply our lives to this truth. If you are afraid of what is not ultimate, it's because you are not beholding what is ultimate. What is ultimate is God. And in the fullness of time, God sent His Son. The Bible says that all of the promises of God are yes and amen in Him and only in Him. The birth of the babe in Bethlehem according to the promise of God is the act of God. It is a spotlight for us to see this is the master fact. This is that which changes everything. Christ is sufficient. All that was before anticipated Christ. All that takes place now centers on Christ. All that will take place in the future is because of Christ and for Christ. This is the one who came in the fullness of time. And get this, we are to behold this reality. And then we look at circumstances, people, situations. We are not to behold people, situations, and circumstances and try to appeal to Christ to give us what we want. We behold Him and He changes how we look at everything else. We bow before Him. We worship Him. Jesus is the master fact of time. Christ is the turning point. Of love, Christ is the highest point. Of salvation, Christ is the starting point and the finishing point. Of worship, Christ is the central point. Without Christ, time causes us to see it as an enemy. It takes away from us. It steals from us. Love is always conditional without Christ. Salvation, people envision as a performance treadmill, but it has no off switch. Of worship, without Christ, it's always a different version of idolatry. The great Protestant reformer Martin Luther talking about Christmas said this, If you try to find God apart from Jesus, you end up only with the devil. The master fact. You can't skip it. Christianity doesn't exist for you and I to access some sort of kind of uh, spiritual force to use at our own discretion for our own purposes. Jesus will never be a subcontractor on our kingdom building projects. Christianity is that we would bow before this babe who was born in Bethlehem and who came to die and will return again as Lord, as Messiah, as Savior. As the good news that overshadows all the bad news. As the great joy that can birth joy in my life in the midst of the most painful of circumstances. You see, in Christ... Fear gives way to joy. 
because Christ is Lord. He has authority. He has control. He is Savior. That authority and might and sovereignty is for us, not against us in Christ. And it's true of all people, no matter your background, no matter what you've done in the past, no matter anything. Christ is the master fact. And that brings peace. Look at verses 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying... Now, the heavenly host, this is an army of angels. We went from one warrior of light to an entire regiment of warriors at light that all of a sudden show up and declare the glory of God. If you thought the angel of the Lord was frightening, you see the heavenly host. The armies of the Lord that come to announce peace. There is peace. But there's peace on the other side of spiritual battle. There is peace. But there was a bloody cross. There is peace. But we must take up our cross and follow Him. And there is a coming day of peace where sin and Satan will be fully and finally dealt with. And there will be eternal peace. The peace that is announced by an army of warriors of light from the presence of God who come bringing the promise of God. And notice the first thing they declare, glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest heaven. The weight of God in the highest heaven. The majesty of God in the highest heaven. The splendor of God in the highest heaven. The light of God in the highest heaven. It is the glory of God because it's the unmediated presence of God where all of the promises of God are fulfilled fully and finally and forever. Remember, glory is always a manifestation of the presence of God or something that gives us a glimpse into the presence of God. And because we see the glory of God in certain ways, we understand the promise of God. The new heavens, new earth is the place of glory because it's the place of the presence of God and the fulfillment of all of the promises of God. So these warriors of light show up and light up the hillside and declare glory to God in the highest. Now, what they say next is vital. And on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. Well, the Bible tells us those on whom He is pleased are those who bow before Jesus as Lord and Savior, who put their faith in Him who turn from trusting in themselves, which is sin, and in repentance they turn to Christ by faith as an all-sufficient Savior. On earth, peace. Now, I talk to people all the time and it seems to be almost a sport among contemporary Christians in America to act like it's the worst time to be alive in the history of the world. The spiritual gift of being miserable for Jesus' sake. 
That's not a fruit of the Spirit. Consider it a fruit fly of the Spirit. You aren't supposed to be miserable. You can have peace. You are latched into, united to, peace. So you can have peace that's not dependent on circumstances because it comes from outside of us and it's sovereign, it's ultimate. All of the promises of God will come to pass, no matter what. And so here, the warriors of light... The heavenly host praises God saying, glory to God in the highest, in the highest heaven. But the glory to God in the highest heaven has penetrated life on earth most clearly in the birth of this baby and because of him on earth in the midst of corruption, in the midst of oppression, in the midst of it all, there can be peace on earth. But only for those among whom He is pleased. Only for those who trust in the master fact that Jesus is Lord and Savior. Our peace is derived exclusively from Him, the One on whom God has poured out His favor and the One whom by faith, favor is poured out, grace is poured out. Now note that this comes in the midst of chaos. It comes in the midst of conflict. That's one of the main things that is to make our testimony so powerful to people. Christians get cancer like lost people. Christians have people turn on them like lost people. Christians know what it means to grieve the death of somebody they love just like other people but they do not go through it in the same way because they have the master fact. There is a fact that changes everything. And it's still painful and it's still difficult and it's still tough. But there is peace in the midst of it all for those who behold the One who came born in the city of David, the Savior who is Christ the Lord. Glory to God in the highest is related to peace on earth because it's only those who deal with the glory of God in the highest as manifest in the birth of Jesus the Christ who can have peace on earth. This peace on earth is comprehensive. Our standing before God. We have peace with God. The Bible calls this justification. Though we are sinners Because we are united by faith to Christ, we are credited His righteousness and we are declared righteous in the sight of God. So our standing before God, even in a fallen world as sinners, by faith is peace with God. The present reality we face, we experience peace from God because those who are justified, who are declared righteous, who have peace with God, He is not leaving the same. He is conforming us into the image of Christ. We are beholding the Son and being transformed. The Bible calls that sanctification. So in the presence, those who have peace with God have peace from God. And in the future, there's the promise of final peace before God. The Bible calls that glorification. All who are justified are sanctified and glorified. The golden chain of salvation. Peace with God, 
peace from God and ultimate peace before God when His glory is unmediated and we see His majesty in His very unmediated presence and we say fully and finally, Amen. All of the promises of God. Yes and Amen forever. But note this. We must align our lives to the master fact. That isn't a one-time thing. It's a constant realignment. That's the reason Paul says, I'm determined to know nothing among anyone but Christ and Him crucified. We're to take every thought captive to obey Christ. Jesus says, all of the Scripture is about me. We're to constantly realign our lives to the master fact. Every time we say with believing lips, Jesus is Lord, we are saying we are not Lord. We're saying we do not have to have things unfold the way we would like them to unfold. We're giving up control. We're ceding authority. At this time, it was said that Caesar is Lord. And no Christian could declare that Caesar is Lord. So if Caesar is not Lord, Caesar can't steal my peace. If Caesar is not Lord... Caesar can't steal my joy. Jesus is Lord. Our lives are a constant realignment to the master fact. Not an alignment to temporal realities. Oh, I can really have joy as long as I have good health. Oh, I could have joy, but this person would have to treat me this way. I would have to get this position. I would, this would have to happen. This is what would bring me joy. That is treating something temporal like a master fact. Therefore, it is controlling you. Therefore, you are not beholding Christ. You're beholding it, even if you try to use Christ to get it. But it would be a constant realignment to the master fact. Jesus Christ, Savior, Lord, Sovereign. It is peace in the midst of conflict. It doesn't just happen. It happens as we behold again and again and again. I played baseball in college, and when I first signed with the school uh, that I went to after junior college, uh, there was a guy there. He was kind of a jokester guy. He was the best player on the team, got drafted by the Yankees. Uh, but he uh, would like to mess around with guys who were newly signed on the team. We had a person who worked at the college who was deaf. He couldn't hear. And so what this guy would do is he'd get new guys and say, hey, listen, we run this school. We just tell everybody what to do. And that's what you've got to do to be a part of this team. So the guy who couldn't hear would be walking, and this guy would know that he's heading, let's say, to sweep out the dugouts. And so he'd come up behind him and say, you get over there and sweep out those dugouts right now. So the guy would go over there and sweep out the dugouts. He says, see, that's the way it works. And he said, you need to do that too. So he'd hang out with him, and there'd be some administrator or something. And he'd say, hey, go let him have it. And so the player would do it. Yeah, he'd be in trouble or fined or whatever else. And he'd be over there laughing and laughing. Because as long as they didn't know this guy was deaf, he could create what seemed to be a reality, but it wasn't reality. They didn't know the key fact. That guy never heard any of the stuff my friend said. 
But these new guys thought, okay, I see the way it works. I'm watching. After all, I know it's true. I can see it. He told him to sweep the dugouts out. He's sweeping the dugouts out. I run this place. Not for long. Right? That's the way it is with a lot of our lives. You can't live without the master fact of Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. If you displace that fact, what you see, you see wrongly. What you think you understand, you understand wrongly. There is no right way to understand anything if you see it apart from seeing Christ. You must see it all through Christ. Just like those guys who would listen to this guy messing with them. You think you, think you know. But you don't. You must come to Christ again and again and again. Some of you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ. What a glorious time it would be at a celebration of His birth for you to join the shepherds and bow before Him. If you put your faith in Him, you will be saved. He doesn't cast out any who come to Him by faith. Because the only way you can come in the first place is His grace. Would you trust Him today? You're frustrated, defensive, paranoid. Yeah, you cannot help but to be because you want to control things you can't control. But today's an opportunity to say, Jesus is Lord. Because of the reality of what we celebrate at Christmas, everything else looks differently. We see the same stuff, but we don't see it in the same way. The people around Jesus' birth, they saw the oppression, they saw the corruption, they saw all of these things. And yet they were motivated and driven by good news of great joy. And even those with the most power did not have it. Hear me this morning. Merry Christmas is a call to courage. It is. Because you don't have to be self-protecting. You don't have to control. You don't have to get accolades. You have Christ. He's in control. Nobody can steal anything from you that ultimately matters for eternity. See, Merry Christmas is not sentimentality. It is a call to ruthless courage in the world. Boldness. Let's work it back. If you have gospel peace, peace in the midst of a chaotic world, it gives you joy. Those who have gospel peace, peace with God, peace from God, and ultimately peace before the presence of God, those who have gospel peace have great joy no matter the circumstances. And if you have gospel peace that's birthed within you great joy, you do not fear any of the temporal things. Do you see it? Christmas is so much better. 
than sentimentality. Christmas is a call to courage. It's a declaration of victory. It is the only way in a fallen world to have peace and joy and to be able to look at anything outside of God and fear not. Let's pray.